Hi, I'm Ted Voltmer. I'm one of the pastors here at the chapel. And whether you're joining us at our online campus or watching this message during the week, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. I know that everything has gone online lately, so I appreciate you making the time to be with us today. Like many of you, all of us on staff here at the chapel are still working virtually. Our offices are still closed. And so that means all of our meetings are online done by video. I think it's, uh, I don't know about you, but Zoom meetings just kind of wear me out. I don't know why that is, but I think it may be because it takes so much energy to stay focused and engaged while you're staring at a screen. There is one thing I like about Zoom calls though, because now I can actually see myself on the screen while we're talking. And uh, that's kind of important because for the longest time before COVID, the staff would always say that they knew when I didn't like an idea because they could see it on my face. And I was always like, no, this is just my face. I don't know what you're talking about. It's a good idea. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were brainstorming different ideas for how we could connect with all of you, the chapel family, how we could keep engaged with each one of you. I asked the staff to come up with different ways that we could reach out to everyone. And someone said that we should do a drive-by, a drive-by to go say hi to everyone at the chapel. Since you all couldn't come to us, we would go to you. (laughs) It would be like what people are doing for birthdays and graduations. We'd all get in our cars, we'd drive by our house, we'd honk the horn, wave, maybe wave some signs. Now, while they're talking about this, I'm thinking there's like 1,500 people in this church and they want to drive by everyone's house. So while they're talking, I look down at that little screen on Zoom and I can see my face. And it looks something like this, like, <laughs> and, and uh, I, while I'm looking at that, I'm like, this is great. Well, they're all shocked. And they say, you like this idea? And I'm like, no, we're not driving by everyone's house, but I can finally see my face. I understand what you're talking about. I know what you mean. I can see that I'm making a face. Anyway, feedback is always good, especially when you're working with the staff. Well, we've been spending this summer in the book of Proverbs. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at being wise with our decisions, being wise with our words, being wise with our relationships, our time, And today we're going to look at how to lead wisely, how to lead wisely. Specifically, we want to look at three traits of a wise leader, three traits of a wise leader. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not leading anything. Please don't tune me out. We're all leaders in some capacity. Maybe you lead in the classroom or in the office or in a hospital or at a job site. You lead in your home in the way you interact with your spouse or the way you lead your children. Some of us with older parents have seen that shift over the years to where the children now need to lead the parents in certain areas of life. We all have different opportunities to lead every day. And if we want to lead well, then God is telling us in the book of Proverbs to lead wisely, lead wisely. So I want to give you three traits or qualities to look for in yourself as you lead others. First one, know yourself. Know yourself. Wise leaders know who they are. We'll look at two Proverbs here, but I want to look at them from a different perspective. So stay with me. The first one is from Proverbs 11, verse 1. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. 
And then from Proverbs 20, verse 10, differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. So 3,000 years ago, when these Proverbs were written, scales were used in the marketplace to determine how much of something you were buying, right? The merchant would place a weight on one scale and then load up the other scale with fruit or grain or whatever it is you wanted to purchase. And when the scales balanced, you knew you were getting everything that you paid for. Pretty simple. But some merchants would cheat their customers by using a lighter weight or adjusting the scale itself so that actually you got less than you thought you were supposed to. And these Proverbs use some strong language for how God feels about dishonest weights and scales. God detests them. He has no patience for them. Obviously, the application for us as leaders is that we need to be honest and trustworthy in all that we do. But we already know that, right? We tell our kids that early on, tell the truth, don't lie, don't cheat. But these verses are telling us that God detests, he hates these dishonest scales. What's going on here? Dishonesty is easy to get away with. Most of the time, the other person wouldn't even know if we're telling the truth or not. But when we lie to others, we start thinking that they may be lying to us, right? When we cheat someone else, we start to wonder if they're actually cheating us also. It goes right to the core of who we are. It affects how we think of those around us, and it affects how we think about ourselves. And that's where I want to go with these verses, because wise leaders know who they are. When you think of yourself in the leadership role that you have, who do you place on the other scale? Who are you constantly comparing yourself to? Who do you think of when you start beating yourself up because you're not measuring up to what they've done? I've fallen into this trap a lot, certainly when I was just starting out. It's gotten better over the years, but when I was younger, I was constantly comparing myself to others. Things like this. Amy is so great with the clients and she knows our products inside and out. I need to get better at this and my scale would start to tilt. Or Jack works so hard, he's the first one in the morning and the last one to leave at night. I need to put more hours in if I want to get ahead. And there goes my scale. Or it could go the other way too, right? Mike's team is out of control. He's in over his head. He doesn't know what he's doing. I've already hit all my targets. I can coast for the rest of the year and still make my bonus. And now my scale is tilting the other way. But if you want to be a wise leader, you have to know yourself, know yourself. Now being motivated by seeing what others are doing can be a good thing. And there are times when we need that. But if you ignore or diminish how God has made you, then you've crossed the line and you need to rebalance your scales. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he tells us that we are God's handiwork, that he crafted each one of us for a specific purpose, and that he himself has prepared, prepared good works for us to do. Then a little later on, he tells us why each one of us is unique. Ephesians 4, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is such a great verse. I have to read it again. To each one of us, grace 
has been given as Christ apportioned it. You are uniquely gifted. God has created you for a specific purpose and prepared in advance what he wants you to do. And then Jesus himself determined which gifts to give you. So when you look at the leadership role that you're in, know that God has placed you there for a specific purpose. And Jesus has given you the gifts that you need to achieve that purpose. You have been designed for the situation that God has placed you in. There's no reason to compare yourself to someone else, to put someone else on the other side of the scale. A wise leader knows her sin, herself or himself and knows that they are ideally suited for the situation God has placed them in. Don't let anyone tell you different. Joe Saxton is an author and speaker and she drives this point home with this question. Listen to this. Who were you before anyone told you who you were supposed to be? That is so great. Who were you before anyone told you who you were supposed to be? When Joe was growing up, she was told that since she was a Nigerian girl in 1970s London, she would have to work twice as hard as everyone else just to be equal. She had been dehumanized by society and completely lost sight of her potential. She had forgotten that she was God's handiwork made for a purpose. And this did not change as she got older. Now, if you've ever heard her speak, Joe has a very powerful personality and she could be a little loud at times. She felt called to ministry. She wanted to serve God in the church, but people told her that she should be quieter or that she should get married and just do ministry with her husband or that she should just let other people handle certain areas of ministry. Joe has learned that you can't become what other people think you should be. And you can't let what other people think you should be determine who you become. As a wise leader, Joe learned to know who she is and the ways that God has gifted her and that ultimately it didn't matter what other people think. Before I go on to the next trait, there's one more reason why knowing yourself is so important. The wise leader needs to keep growing. You need to keep growing. You can't lead if you're not in front. That's what leading is, right? By definition, you're in front. And to stay out front, you have to know where you need to grow and where you need help. That's part of knowing yourself. We've been talking throughout this series about becoming a wise person. But how do you know if you're wise or not? Here's a simple test, and I'm taking this from Dr. Henry Cloud. When truth presents itself, the wise person sees the light, takes it in, and makes adjustments. When truth presents itself, the wise person sees the light, takes it in, and makes adjustments. This is a great diagnostic to use to see how wise you are or how wise someone else on your team is. When I'm confronted by the truth, do I see it as truth or do I ignore it or try to argue with it? Then do I take it in and find a way to apply it to who I am and to what I'm doing? And finally, do I then change and grow in response to that truth? 
I'm talking to myself here, right? It's so easy to get defensive when we receive feedback. I know that. But if we want to be wise, we need to recognize truth, apply it to our lives, and then change as a result. I could talk about this one trait all day. Knowing yourself is so important to being a wise leader. The longer I do this, the more I believe that self-awareness is key to growth in all areas of our lives. But we have to move on. So let me give you the next trait of a wise leader. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse three. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. God established the sacrificial system in the Old Testament to provide a way for his people to maintain their relationship with him. Many of Israel's sacrifices were simply ways of saying, thank you for what God had done, such as the grain and peace offerings, or for saying, I'm sorry for what the Israelites had done or not done. And those were the sin and guilt offerings. But over time, some of the priests and people started to just go through the motions. They would make the sacrifices, but they wouldn't change how they lived or change what they felt. Performing a sacrifice for them had just become a ritual, something to do, but it didn't change their heart. There were times in the Old Testament when God would send his prophets to tell his people, hey, this is, this is not working. You're missing the whole point here. We read in Isaiah where God tells his people to stop bringing your meaningless offerings. And through the prophet Amos, God says, I despise your religious feasts. I don't want the mechanics. I, I want you to love me. They confuse the ritual with the actual purpose behind it. And we can fall into that same trap. We know we should read our Bible, but we have a lot to do. So we just skim over a few verses or we start to pray, but there's a lot on my mind today. And before I know it, I'm checking my emails. And this proverb calls us back and tells us God wants us to do what is right and just more than he wants us to just go through the motions. He's interested in our hearts. So what does this have to do with leadership? Well, here's the second trait of a wise leader. Wise leaders do what is needed, not just what is expected. They do what is needed, not just what's expected. You know, in any relationship, it's easy to fall into a routine where you, where you end up just doing enough to get by. You do what's expected and required, but there's no feeling behind our actions. We're doing everything we're supposed to. We're checking the box, but there's no commitment, no love behind the action itself. And leaders can fall into the same trap too, right? A foolish leader will start to think, well, I have the title. I'm in charge here. I can just kind of coast. They can't do anything to me. Or I have years of experience. I have tenure. I can do just enough to get by without worrying what will happen. After all, I deserve it with everything I've done to get here. But the wise leader picks up his head and looks around and realizes that there's a lot that needs to be done. The wise leader does more than just what's expected. She takes it to the next level to do what is right and just, to do what is needed. 
when COVID-19 hit and all sporting events were canceled, ESPN saw an opportunity and released its 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance, The Last Dance. Over 6 million people watched each episode, so I'm sure some of you saw it. It tells the story of Michael's career with the Bulls, focusing on the 97-98 season, his last year with the team. Now, I grew up watching Michael Jordan play, but I had forgotten how great a basketball player he was. Watching this documentary, I was amazed again with his talent and commitment to being the best. Now, I know some of you probably think Kobe Bryant or LeBron James are better players, but to me, Jordan was the greatest of all time. If you have a different opinion, you can share that in the comments, but I think Pastor John's a Jordan fan as well. So in Michael's first three years in Chicago, the Bulls were knocked out of the playoffs each year by the Detroit Pistons. Now, the Pistons were a very physical team. Some would say dirty. And they would do everything they could to make Jordan uncomfortable and take him out of his game. And it worked. Now, Jordan was still playing great and setting all sorts of records. He could have just kept doing what he was doing and maybe blamed the rest of the team for not stepping up. But a wise leader does what is needed, not just what is expected. So after the Bulls were eliminated by the Pistons for the third time, the documentary shows Jordan going to the gym the very next day to start working out. He added 15 pounds of muscle during the offseason, and the next year the Bulls won their first of six championships. Author John Maxwell has written many books on leadership and in Beyond Talent, Beyond Talent, he talks about how talent by itself is not enough, that it takes talent plus making the right choices to be successful. He points out that there are a lot of talented people out there. Michael Jordan was, when he was playing, he was probably, there was probably 10 or 20 other players who had the same amount of talent But what makes the difference is that talent plus, talent plus, making the hard choices to put in the practice, to take advice and coaching and feedback, to go the extra mile. That's what sets the successful people apart. So the wise leader knows who they are, what makes them unique. They do what is needed. And third, they put others first. They put others first. Listen to Proverbs 27, 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Another translation says, be diligent, be diligent to know the condition of your flocks. I love that. Diligent, persistent, focused on knowing how your team is doing. For the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize this third trait like this. If you're in a position of leadership, your primary role is to find out what your team needs and then do that. Hear that again. If you're in a position of leadership, your primary role is to know what your team needs and then do that. Where do we get this? From Jesus, of course. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus knows he doesn't have a lot of time left. 
So he tells the disciples that soon he'll be captured and then crucified on the cross. James and John, two of the disciples, figure that now is when Jesus will bring his kingdom to earth, when he'll take over everything. They're wrong about that, but they ask if they can be in charge with Jesus. Jesus, can we have some thrones next to you on either side of you so that we can be in charge too? The other disciples hear this and they're upset probably because they didn't think of it at first. So Jesus takes them all aside to give them a lesson on true leadership. Listen to what he says from Mark 10, verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And the disciples are probably thinking, yeah, we know that. That's why we want to be in charge, right? It's good to be the king. But then Jesus says this in verse 43, not so with you. Not so with you. That's not how we do things here. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. I love how Jesus is saying that it's okay to, be, want, to, be, to want to be great. It's okay to want to be first. Ambition by itself is not a bad thing. But if you want to be great, you have to serve. And if you want to be first, you have to be a slave of everyone. And then he gives the greatest example ever. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for, for many. The disciples probably didn't understand that last part yet, but they knew this. They knew this. If the Son of God came to serve, then we have to serve also. Let me give you two practical ways to do this at your job or in your classroom or wherever it is that you lead. And I'm taking these both from Andy Stanley, who I just so respect. First, ask, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? This is so simple, but so powerful. Here's a very hard fact. The higher you go in any organization, the harder it is to know what your team needs. The easiest way to overcome that is to just ask, what can I do to help? When I first started here at the chapel, I wanted to understand all the different ministries. So I always asked the staff, hey, what can I do to help? Or, you know, let me help. Let me know if there's anything I can do. But the staff was always like, that's okay. We got it. It's okay. Then one day I'm in my office and the phone rings and it's Heather Horn, our director of family ministries. Now this was a Thursday morning and I knew that the chapel women's groups were meeting. So Heather said, you know how you're always saying just to call you if there's anything you can do to help? And I'm like, yeah. Well, we had a couple of childcare workers call in sick today and I need you to help out in the nursery. <laughs> so I'm thinking when, you know, when I said that, I thought maybe I'd approve an expense report or something, but there I was holding babies while the chapel women groups met. Ask what you can do to help. Second, and this is a hard one, confront your ego. Confront your ego. Keep asking yourself, am I more interested in building my team or building my reputation? You have to decide what is most important. And I am, am, am I in this to build up my team or to build up myself and my reputation? 
Because I promise you, there will come a time when you have to make a choice between those two things. Some situation will come up where you have to choose between what's best for the team or what's best for yourself. And it's better to decide that in advance. Now, if you don't know the answer, just ask your team. Believe me, they'll know. I've worked with too many leaders who only cared about building their own reputation, about their own success. And everyone on the team knew it too. The world tells us that to get ahead, we should do what successful people do. We should just copy what they're doing. That we should take what we want, that we should build our own brand and climb our way to the top. But Jesus says, not so with you. If you want to lead wisely, then start by knowing who God made you to be, how you're uniquely gifted. Then do what is needed, not just what's expected, and put others first. Put others first. That's the key to being a wise leader. 